I'm Betches co-founder Jordana Abraham, and this episode is brought to you by Instacart. Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on, while she's sneezing, coughing, aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us, trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues to tea to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker of yours. Hello, and welcome back to a special bonus episode of the Betches podcast, Speak Now, Betches version. I'm Holly. I'm Sammy. And today we are joined by the number one person who I would ever want us to be joined by today, my friend, pop culture connoisseur, fellow Swifty, soon to be author, Kate Kennedy. Hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. I know you had a late night last night listening to all these songs, making an incredible Patreon episode, which I clicked on the second it entered my inbox this morning. And this is going to be really fun. There is so much to talk about with this new 1989 Taylor's version. So first, should we just like chat instinctual impressions? Like who wants to go first? Kate. I, I feel like there's a controversy. Some people start with the re-records. Some people start with the vaults. I started with the vaults. And I started with Slut. I, I had to. And um, I mean, I think these vault songs are outstanding. I think they're particularly strong relative to like Speak Now. And there are like two or three that are already like regular listens. And that's a saying a lot because, you know, I've been awake for six hours. So <laughs> I, I, I think they're really strong. And I think that what we know about 1989 is that after she lost the Grammy for Red, she wanted Sonic Cohesion. And as one does. these songs sound like 1989 to the point where they almost, to your point, Sammy, sound kind of similar at first. And then you, you kind of need to get used to them. And um, I'm on board so far. How are you guys feeling? Same. I, I'm with you, Kate. I feel like at first listen, they, they all sounded kind of similar in that 80s realm. But I feel like I've been playing Say Don't Go over and over again. This might sound crazy, but I'm getting like Phil Collins meets Ed Sheeran meets the, I think she's Irish, the Irish singer like Enya. It was oh, just yeah. giving me, I was having this like psychedelic dance party in my apartment. Drugs not included, but like <laughs> they can be included. Yeah, it is like a 90s male power ballad energy paired yeah. with a new age CD you'd see on like a late night infomercial. I completely I completely agree with that. Also, Slut gave me extremely polished Lana Del Rey vibes. <gasps> me too. Like very it's like if Lana Del Rey wanted to make a commercial version of any of her songs, I feel like it would sound like that. And I really loved it. I envisioned something very different for Slut. Very, Same. I'm happy with it. I thought it would be more in like the blank space realm, like a little satirical, especially because the it was in quotes and with the exclamation mark. It's I I just heard her. I just would have have envisioned her yelling it. But um, no, I agree with you. The vault songs are on the first listen. I was just like they're all just kind of like nice, pleasant listens, and then on second round, they're I'm like. Ooh, everyone's really good. But I haven't 
yet broken into like one on repeat yet. I'm actually kind of jumping around and I'm still incorporating some of our original songs. Like I'm eating up like Wonderland, uh, How You Get the Girl. The, these are these are songs that were meant to be sung with her, sang, sung, with her adult vocals. Yes. Yes, that's a great point. I, I think that it, it kind of depends on the song. I think in many ways I feel lucky for the re-record because of the strengthened, mature, and more clean and like clear no vocals. Mm-hmm. In some cases, it, it does lose its character. You know, like when she re-recorded Last Kiss, I felt like the sorrow was stripped away from it a little bit, which I'm glad she's happy now. But <laughs> when she recorded Last Kiss the first time, she was like devastated. And you could really hear it. And I think it's hard to manufacture that authenticity. So there's occasions where I'm like, oh, I kind of miss the old one. But yeah, her vocals are, are just are so, so strong now. Uh, yeah, I thought it was the most, I mean, we'll, we're going to do the vault songs first, but I did feel that that was pretty prominent on this album yeah. specifically because... There were such quirky sounds on 1989 and that maybe maybe she couldn't redo it. Maybe she didn't want to redo it. Maybe there's also I think the re-records can't be exactly the same legally. So right. she has to make some changes. So I wonder if she made those changes like on purpose. And I don't know. How much do you think she right. really cares about people listening to the old versions Zero. Okay, because some, <laughs> because people some people online treat it as if it's like she would rather die than have you listen to those. Like, and I don't get the impression that she cares that much. I just think she this the project's great. It's successful, and I think because it was, I think she probably cares way less if you occasionally go back to an old one. Agree. I I think that I don't think the streaming dollars are that much of a cash grab relative to the rest of her revenue streams like I think that she probably understands that people will default to the old ones a lot of people already bought the old ones and I think for her it's on principle because Scooter Braun sold her masters of Shamrock Holdings a long time ago it's not even money in his pocket anymore as far as we know and I think for her this project's really about like reclaiming ownership of what's hers and which I think is really cool and I love that people support it but I agree I don't think that she would like be angry if you didn't swap out every single song on your playlist right right. totally and um, also, she's a billionaire. It just was mm-hmm. announced today. She oh, was has $1.1 billion. So if she's mad about listening to the old ones, it will never be enough. I did feel like, Sammy, the 1989 beat shots were giving Kendall Roy. <gasps> Fun. Staring out at the water <laughs> as a billionaire. That's really funny. I mean, that is just a perfect crossover of every bonus episode this podcast has ever done. <laughs> With steep premiums on perks and off-limit amenities, fitness can end up feeling like a world of no's when all you want is a place that says yes. Fitness should be affordable and extra amenities and perks shouldn't break the bank. That's why the Planet Fitness Black Card is the most inclusive membership. They're removing fitness limitations, giving more access to perks and boosting energy for all. We all know those gyms, you know, the ones with a running list of amenities you don't actually get access to unless you pay additional fees for every use, or those gyms with perks you only get access to on their terms. Those restrictions can feel like a letdown, a disappointment, or even a reason to not join at all. But Planet Fitness is changing that. This March, Planet Fitness aims to prove that with the PF Black Card membership, 
All the perks are actually for all. Their most inclusive membership allows you to bring a friend for free and access all 2,500 locations. You even get access to the Black Heart Spa, including the relaxing hydro massage and other amenities. And with a Planet Fitness membership that offers all the perks and doesn't break the bank, you never have to hear that energy-sucking no again. You can try the Planet Fitness Black Card for yourself by visiting planetfitness.com slash gyms. Join today for $1 down, $24.99 a month. Deal ends Friday, March 15th. That's planetfitness.com slash gyms. Okay, before we talk about slut, this is probably the good time to bring up the prologue because my interpretation of slut and how it was received was actually very colored no pun intended, given the lyrics of this song, by the way that the prologue was positioned online before the album came out, like a few hours earlier. So do you want to kind of delve into that? Should we summarize what happened for the audience? Um, basically, did, did you guys read the full prologue? Before you read the full prologue, did you see the headlines? from page six and such i saw the prologue before i saw the headlines you did i I was the opposite yeah Yeah. so kate how did you interpret it when you read it before the headlines okay one of my initial thoughts was that i the part where she says if i only hung out with my female friends, people couldn't sensationalize or sexualize that, right? I would learn later on that people could and people would. Honestly, one of my initial responses was like, well, like, a lot of women love women. That's <laughs> like, a valid form of love. It's kind of implying there's something inherently offensive about, like, pairing her with other – and I don't think that's what she means. Um, but it kind of was a weird phrasing, I thought. And – I think when I saw the the headlines that were like Taylor Swift slams rumors about her bisexuality, I was like, did she? And then I went back and read it and I'm like, I guess that's what like they wanted to extract from it. It just was written kind of in a unique way. And listen, if she doesn't want people to talk about that, then like that's totally fine. I think that it, there's all it's always just a little confusing in terms of like what's an Easter egg, what's on the table for interpretation and consumption and what's off limits. And I think that, like, you can interpret art how you want, and that's fair. And I I feel a little bit bad for fans that are probably, like, feeling ashamed that they, you know, maybe took something from her music that represented them. Like, isn't that okay? I don't know. I feel very confused about the whole thing. Totally (laughs) with you. Holly, what did you think when you read the headlines that, that, like, kind of presented that blurb? Yeah, I don't think, I mean, with the last sentence of that, section about like sexualizing her and her friends like I would learn later on that people could and people would like I don't think I don't think she's shutting anything down like Kate was saying I think she's leaving it as she always does up to interpretation we could take it how we want um I I don't think we're getting anything if if Gaylers and those like that community wants answers I don't think this is gonna give us anything I think it was a lot of like fluff to be honest you know, kind of 2014 Taylor, just kind of everyone thinks I'm dating my friends and just kind of, you know. Yeah, that's exactly what it reminded me of. But especially the way that I think I saw that like it was sort of presented with a headline that she was like slamming rumors, but it was only the blurb. And okay, I read the blurb and I was like, is this, this isn't about sexuality. This is about how people talk about her. 
so that was my first instinct. Then when I read the full pro- prologue and like it didn't seem to be about sexuality whatsoever or even like her friends or anything, they it was really about coming into her own and experimenting as her first phase as a young adult. That's how I read it. I do think though that like the choice to – for some outlets to present it, like she's slamming these rumors. I think that was a choice that was made because – maybe by her team, because they need to get through two more re-records after this. They don't want this, like, becoming a thing too soon. And then also, it sort of reminded me of what she did with John Mayer in the Speak Now prologue, where she was like, don't assume this is about someone I was mad at 10 years ago. I feel that she wants to, like, warn her fans off getting too intense. And that's how she does it. Yeah, because it could have uh, – I don't know. It's it's confusing because uh, on the one hand, I'm kind of like, I wouldn't even be talking about this if it wasn't in the prologue. Like, I would just be absorbing the music and I wouldn't really be overthinking it. And I think m- most, like, f- most fans, I don't think, go that hard. They just, like, enjoy the music, maybe speculate a, l- a little in their head. They're not, like, content creators speculating. I think that's, like, kind of a smaller quarter of the internet. No, but it's been um, in but the New York it, Times. This, like, it was in – it's actually – What, that, the Gaylord that she's – like, Yeah. It has? Yeah, that huge profile Okay, maybe I didn't realize how mainstream she, it was. Dropped, that's what I mean. um, an Instagram post, like, an hour ago, like, with the title, like, bisexual, like, Taylor slams bisexual. I'm like, I'm like wow, I would never think to oh, see I- this – Yes, the headlines from the prologue. But how mainstream was were people talking about her sexuality oh, no, it was, prior to the no, prologue? In that, you know that big profile that came out about her in the New York Times? Yeah. Like, that had a big section about Gaylor. Gaylor is now like oh, in regular, not, regular just like, not just like queer publications. It's now in like regular mainstream. Now it's been in the New York Times, like in this huge profile of her, her friendship with Carly Kloss. Oh. Like this is out Again, no pun intended. And I think she needs to I, didn't I think that. she needs to slow it down because she wants people to she doesn't want people going back to the catalog too soon. She also doesn't want like this harassment of Diana Agron. And I think she knows that like people would like the thing is that if she hadn't done that, the only thing people would have been talking about today is, mm-hmm. is Diana Agron. And still they're talking now they're talking about Harry Styles. I feel like I don't know if the mainstream is talking like knows about Diana, do they? Yeah, I, d- I don't. Th- I don't think Diana is mainstream knowledge. Which goes to your point, Sammy. That's like she's, she's trying not- to protect her friends and people that she cares about. That if it's not mainstream yet, it would distract I mean, from the music. She is mainstream knowledge. Like it's tr- it, her name has trends on Twitter. Like it's it's like there's even though it's not that's not in the New York Times yet. It's. Definitely, like, way more than the murmurs that were, like, within Tumblr originally. Or down the rabbit hole Tumblr. I think as a fan, my problem is I'm easily swayed. I'm like, okay, yeah, if you if you don't want the speculation, like, I'm good. I'm done. I don't, I don't need it. Like, and with Wonderland, that, I think, to me, was one of the most, the least far-fetched of all with all the parallels. Um to Alice in Wonderland and Diana and her tattoo and her Tumblr hand and all the things, whatever. Um, but she went out of her way to include the original lyrics to when it came out last night. And one of the lyrics that got scrapped was, you're like, I'm the king, you're the queen. So I feel like she does things to make sure to like, 
shut it down. So I saw that and I was like, okay, now I won't talk about Wonderland in the context of Diana. Maybe I was overthinking it. And I just kind of move on. And I think she's maybe, I don't know, that trying to do that for people like me that are just like, oh, okay, there's an answer and I'll move on. <laughs> right. Well, that goes to your, okay, to your point about like the speculation. I think that I, I'm with you what you said this on your Patreon, but I'm with the point that like, I'm very confused about like, what is an Easter egg? What's on the table? What's off the table? Because it's not like you say you're not, she's not Easter egging, you know, like there's encouragement of this and she's a a wonderful songwriter. So my confusion is like, to, to what you said earlier, like, is it so bad that people read this through a queer lens? Like, is that not okay? But then I realized like, Taylor's very, it's very sensitive. She, so even though there are like lots of like very accepting people who are like totally date whoever you want, like I think she genuinely lives in fear, not just of her career, but fear of her safety probably of people who, because you see the reaction. Like people aren't just like, okay, whatever. She is what she is. They're saying like it, they, they take it with like this hate, like how dare you suggest yeah. that she is attracted to anyone but a white blonde male? <laughs> like, it's very like, and I, I understand if that were me, like, I'd be afraid. I, I think that the hardest, okay, I would have dropped, I would have like let go your, A, I don't really care. <laughs> I just don't think it matters. And I think the way people fight about it online is so Weird. grating and like yeah. doesn't help. Creepy. It's just like the point should be like, it doesn't matter. It's fine. And I think the more people fight about it, if that were the case, the scarier it would be to enter into that dialogue. But I would have mentally let go, if not for the bisexual wig and you need to calm down. What, what, that choice would just, what doesn't make sense. It's so funny how like (laughs) everyone has their piece of evidence that convinces Mm -hmm. them. And like, I don't have one thing. Like I have just a number of things that like, to me just cannot, Taken with the fact that she's never just said, like, I'm straight, which would be so easy, <laughs> so easy. There's so many things, like the Christian Seriano thing, the Shelly Wright blender thing, and her lyrics that she has with her, the singing, I want her midnights, Calvin Harris beard tweets. And then the one thing that it's not like one thing in her music, but it's like the vast amount of queer references that it just doesn't make sense for a straight ally, quote unquote, to know that level of queer history. It's just so extensive that I just don't see why, like how someone who like didn't explore that part of themselves or isn't interested in that would know that level of of things. Plus all of the actual, then you look at her life and you're like, you put all the pieces of that together and you're like, oh, this maps perfectly onto the lyrics. And and I think it's like, okay. Like I, I get it. I get that she's like afraid because – and I get the part of her – her message even above all of the section – above that is like stop objectifying me. And I think she knows that – I. she's never going to like – even though this is like part of the deal, like it comes with the fame that you're going to kind of end up feeling and being objectified by someone or something, she's still going to write about her frustration with it. And that I think is just kind of the impasse that we're at. 
So you're kind of like still in the Gaylor realm. See, like I'm, I'm, I'm like way out of it. Like I, I kind of outside of the wig that bothers me when I like lie awake at night. I'm like, well, that just was an interesting decision. I've kind of let it go, and I don't really consume much of the content anymore. And I don't know if I'm being like kind of a like pathetic fan, but I like feel guilty. Like I when she puts that. out statements like this, I'm kind of like I feel bad that we're even talking about it because like that's she's like saying don't do that you know so I just I never know what to do (laughs) I completely feel that too my mind did not change because of the page six misleading headlines the prologue is the pro like when I read the I'm pretend you didn't look at that pretend you didn't know page six pretend you only just consumed the album and the prologue and you didn't read reddit and you didn't read anything and you don't know what she thinks besides the art I would still read this the exact same way and I would read Slut as a song about bearding. Really? Interesting. I need to revisit Slut. Here's the thing. I'm hap- I'm more than happy to end this conversation now and focus on her like future. But she did put out this prologue. And I just don't interpret this as even being about sexuality. I think it's about not wanting to be like picked apart and objectified, which is not because of her sexuality. I think that's the real reason to not talk about it. Right. For like a more and humane... That was the era, 1989 was the era that that started when they started making fun of her for having friends that are females for all of her past relationships. So it would make sense that she would put that in the prologue. I Looking at it outside of the articles, like if I were to take it at face value, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, this is like the tweet in 2014 after Kissgate, like, can the media please stop accusing me of dating my friends? Like, that's... I think it the, the sentiment's very similar. Like, people can sensationalize or sexualize that. And, like, she was bothered post-Kissgate that the media sensationalized and sexualized what looked to be her and Carly Kloss, you know, kissing, getting close, whatever. I, I think that that's what I thought it was, like, nodding to. And that was a distinction I was kind of making on Patreon. I'm like, I feel like this is more focused toward, like, media and capitalizing off of this narrative as clickbait. I don't really think, I don't really know if she would be as mad at at her fans for, like, interpreting her music how they want. I kind of see it more as, like, the Kissgate era of it all. But I I honestly, I do not know. I had that exact reaction that it was, it reminded me exactly of, please stop accusing me of dating Mm -hmm. my friends. And I also find it hard to believe, and this is why I feel like it, it comes down to the hate that she doesn't, that is what's bothering her. If she could get all the support in being whoever she wants to be, I think that she would embrace whoever that full person is. But I think she knows that that can't happen, and it's unsafe. Physic- it is unsafe for her. Like, you see what happens when she goes to a wedding. And I just, I really think her objection is to, like, the objectification. Her objection is to her objectification that she receives. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that she's like offended by the fact that her queer fans read this through a queer lens and can relate to it. And I really find it hard to believe that so many artists would support her if she were engaging in what many people would consider to be queer baiting. But again, that's I, you know, we can let her, you know, be what she is. I I think to your point earlier about her, it's seeming like that was the pull quote, the spin that every single media outlet took from the leak and it maybe being something her team wanted. I think where I kind of land is like, if that's the messaging they wanted for whatever reason it is, that's what they want. 
should we just accept that? Yes. Then, you yes. Know? That's like, that was exactly where I like landed in the end is like, I think they want us to like go through these re-records with Taylor Swift as she has been through these 10 eras. And like, that is what we're doing. We're doing Travis Kelsey. We're doing the Super Bowl. We're doing, I mean, I don't know if she'll do this. I don't mean mm-hmm. the Super I mean, the NFL. We're doing all of that. And, you know, we're going to do Reputation next. And that's what I think they want. For whatever reason, I think the lead up to rep is a very good point because the I think the rep prologue has made a lot of people tailspin, being like none of the men these on these slideshows are what these songs are about. You basically, you don't know me at all. And I remember reading that and being like, "Whoa, something's going on behind the scenes." And um, yeah, I think that obviously opens up a lot of opportunity for speculation and maybe addressing this now is a little easier than doing it at the album that is so shrouded in literal mystery because there was never an explanation. Didn't she say shrouded myself in mystery in one of these lyrics? Is she it did, now? yes. I did. No. <laughs> now that we don't talk. Yes. When, I, when I hear f- words and phrases, I'll repeat them and reuse them, and I absolutely recycled that from... Um, the lyrics. I believe, Say Don't, say don't Go. go. Yes. Right. <laughs> Birdie Gray has always been known for their chic and affordable bridesmaids dresses. But this spring, they've got something extra special for the bride, little white dresses. So starting today, you can shop their entire collection of little white dresses, LWDs. Fun fact, they've teamed up with vlogger and bride-to-be Laura DIY for this collection, which I might say is perfect for bachelorette parties, bridal showers, and kind of everything in between. So let's talk trends for a second. Thanks to TikTok and Instagram, pre-wedding parties have become almost as big as the wedding itself. And believe me, Birdie Gray knows the pressure to find the perfect look for each event. That's why they have a range of styles from oversized bows, fun pearl accents, to sexy satin miniskirts and feather trims. Speaking of trends, they also have a pair of mesh opera gloves with pearls that will look super cute with any of these dresses. And as if Birdie Gray dresses weren't already affordable, these little white dresses are all under $150. So visit www.birdiegray.com to peek at their latest bridal collection. That's B-R-I-D-Y-G-R-E-Y.com. Happy shopping! What did you think of um, the vault songs, like, lyrically? I think that Is It Over Now is outstanding. The the um the there were flashing lights. At least I had the decency to keep my nights out of sight. Only rumors about my hips and thighs and my whispered sighs. Oh Lord, I think about jumping off a very tall something. Like that whole and in the part with the the three hundred takeout coffees later. Yeah. Like I think that the it's so strong and it's it it's like addictive. It's got that earwormy addictive pop vibe that I like kept listening to it this morning my initial favorite was say don't go just because it had that kind of 90s ethereal energy that Diane Warren the co-writer does so well um but I think my run like front runner now is um they all all the titles sound the same to me (laughs) I will just is it over (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna just note that when I went to type in is it over now a song by Calvin Harris and the weekend just um just, oh my god! I, over now is called over now. So you know they're saying is it over now is like a diss track about Harry that we never expected to get. It's the biggest diss shook. track about Harry. Okay, did was that? I had the same reaction as you did on your Patreon, Kate. Mutual infidelity. Yes, I think so. She says, "Was it is was it over when 
she slept on your couch. Was it you over when he blouse. unbuttoned my blouse? And it's like, okay, you both, you both did stepped out. And then when you look into the lyrics, um, what she says is, and did you think I didn't see you? There were flashing lights. At least I had the decency to keep my nights out of sight. So she's saying, like, they both did the same thing, but she's saying, I was chill about it. I was under the radar. I didn't parade it like you did. I had to see you in models, beds, and whatever, I think is what she's getting at. It really reminds me of Kyle and Mauricio. But in the meantime, (laughs) that was my interpretation, too. Like, two who were each cheating. Um, But did Harry, who did Harry cheat on her? Who did she cheat on? I know who she cheated on Harry with. Who did she... (laughs) I don't know. I did hear models, so that would make sense. Who are his models? I I feel like the world is probably Harry Styles' model oyster, <laughs> if I had to guess. And like, when um, was Kendall? I don't know specifically, but uh, he did, yeah, he was with Kendall on a yacht, specifically to quote another lyric about mega yachts. But I think that the lyrics of style, like, I heard you've been, been out with some other girl. Um, and then she says, I've been there too a few times. I think the whole point is they have this like kind of casual cyclical Chewy. thing yeah. and they both see each other here and there and hear about it here and there. And in some cases it's romanticized. In this case, he's a lying traitor. He's a bad driver. Yeah. And a vehicular manslaughterist, apparently, according to the depths of the internet. <laughs> I mean, really? I haven't gotten there. Have you not seen that theory? No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> it's it's almost kind of like a Kendall joke Roy? at this point. Like people, no, people think that out of the woods hit the brakes too soon that they like there was some like big accident and have taken all of these harry styles lyrics out of context paired with taylor swift's lyrics and painted the story about this giant car accident type thing there's they like a power line it's kind though. of a wait which vault song snowmobile it was snow- wait which vault song says red blue white snow red what oh yeah that's about the yes. snowmobile accident yeah that's um, what is it over is it in that is one? it over now so that song is meant to is it is like directly related to Out of the Woods, and she says blue dress on the boat, and Harry Styles famously left her in Virgin Gorda on a boat alone in 2013. Yeah, that one's pretty much that, which is interesting because I feel like that's a lot of insight into their relationship that we never had. So much, like no wonder she didn't put that on the album. It would have been the antithesis of everything she wanted for that album, which was for people to stop focusing on her relationships. Yeah, short lived but ver- very unserious and a lot of fuck yous yes i want i i know i'm so curious about th- that relationship um because he was 18 at the time it didn't seem like they dated that long but maybe there's a lot we don't know it just i think that the the vault songs i was like oh damn there was an intensity there that i think i maybe didn't understand to me this falls into the realm of a lot of taylor's relationships i think in reality, had much more of like a professional bend to them, either in how they began or why they happened than we realize. And I think that that was probably very confusing to her because maybe she thought she was like really dating these people or they were thought they were really dating her, but then they went back and leaned on the professionalism and the publicist because like even if you could have a relationship, as you can see with Travis Kelsey, it becomes commercialized. So like she couldn't, I think maybe like this constant like problem she runs into of like the commercialization of her relationships messing them up. 
that's kind of how I feel what happened with like, I kind of think that happened with a lot of her relationships. And that's why to me, the Calvin Harris beer tweets are so important because like, it just shows that there's something that, and whether it's for a sexual reason or not, she utilizes public relationships for the sake of maintaining her own privacy. And who knows what's going on in private, but there is a public piece to everything. I Was it the Rolling Stone or Glamour and the Lover era? I, I always quote this because I appreciated the admission. She said, like, I realized a while ago, if people are going to talk about my relationships anyways, I might as well, like, use it to my advantage. And she talks about, like, you know, I felt like I couldn't. I had to pretend I wasn't the one sitting at the conference tables making the strategic decisions about how I market myself. And I appreciated that she admitted like there are elements of her personal life that are leveraged for promotion because I think it's obvious to most people, but um, people kind of get offended sometimes when you suggest that she's very strategic. And even she said it's weird how calculated is like an insult when it comes to being a woman. But like she like to have the song Mastermind and to think that she doesn't carefully like meticulously puppeteer her public image is silly. <laughs> right. And that that's kind of I think to your point about earlier about like what counts as an easter egg? What are we allowed to talk about? As a fan, I agree like it's like you what can you talk about or do you does she want you to talk about without you feeling badly about? Um and it's like that line between like inviting it and saying, like, no, don't talk about it. But I feel that, like, you can't – if it's in the art, it's fair game is my right. feeling. Yeah. And she allows that. I think about this all the time because it's, like, it is kind of fascinating how everybody writes – most people write lyrics about their life and relationships. But we just don't care as much. <laughs> like Maybe their fans care. You know? <laughs> No, but but I'm like such big fans of a lot of people, but I don't do the level of like sleuthing or digging. But it all goes back to what I think she probably regrets doing, which is putting clues in album liners, which is drawing these maps for us. Like she engaged us with her personal life when she was young and naive and maybe didn't realize how this would carry throughout her career to make it such a focal point. And I think it all comes back to like the second she said the, you know, 25 second phone call on Ellen, like we got scoop, you know, and I think we've been chasing it ever since. Yeah, I think that combined with also like, it's not just the fact that she was giving clues. She also has rewarded fans for being obsessed with her, basically. Into her home. Yeah, like she's invited them into her home for that. I mean, please invite me. Um, Please. But. But that's what I mean. It's like, I think that, and maybe that was like unintentional. And again, she has a right to sing about how it pisses her off. This is the other piece. It's like, that's part of the conversation that she's in with her fans, which she is in one. Because like you said, there's a difference between her and like Adele, who like just the way that people go about it and what Adele wants from her fans and what she'll allow. But like, I appreciate that Taylor goes there and I wouldn't want to like encourage hatred but I think it is a shame that there are people who don't or won't accept her for whatever it is that she is yeah I agree it is it is pretty fun like that's the thing is all the the way she's engaged her fandom over the years is like such a good time and it's different than other fandoms and I yeah I think that there's it's just 
it's a bit of a catch-22, but I think that also it's fair to say, like, there are cycles. Like, we went from the Joe Alwyn era where it was like, respect my privacy, do not talk about me, do not follow me, da-da. And I feel like we obliged. It was six years. We were like, yeah, this is a serious relationship, whatever. And now to be in the Travis Kelsey era that's just so purposefully public, it is a little confusing. And I'm like, oh, okay, so was it chill that we're talking about this now? Like, I just never, yeah, the, there's a lot of mixed messaging about what she wants put out there. And yeah, sometimes it's like, well, the stuff that is like very tr- real and true to her heart, maybe that is what she wants to keep private. And then there's a reason some things are par- paraded more than others. Who the heck knows? But yeah, we're in a, we're we're back in an era of publicizing her relationship big time. Right. And I think she's grown so much. Obviously, we've seen her like as a teenager to now that I think she just picks and chooses what relationships or what parts of her personal life she wants to show now because she's, I think, strong enough to handle it. True. And, um, and I guess it also depends on who she's dating, too. I think Travis can handle it a lot better than her past people. So I agree yeah. with you guys. Like, I'm all for it. Whatever she's inviting us in for, I'm going to eat it up as long as she can handle it behind the scenes. It would be kind of fun to like date a show pony after dating a like kind of reclusive person. <laughs> I also think that the NFL has been giving her this like subtle like protection by endorsing her rather than like mocking her a la Jessica Simpson. So I think that's definitely helped preserve this as like a success rather than a also, he's doing well in the games, which is <laughs> Yes, I'm so grateful that Jessica Simpson edit's not happening, and I keep worrying about superstitious sports fans. So let's let's hope it still it remains like a positive thing. Airport anxiety is real. Between constantly checking my pockets or forgetting my gate number, I'm usually stressed. That's why I'm so grateful for Base. Finally, a bag has the function and the fashion. It keeps me calm and looking cute. I love my base luggage. I literally just came back from St. Kitts. I talked about it on this show. I had my base luggage with me. And I have to say, it was the most amazing bag. It really pulled through in every single way. It was just incredible. It just made the whole trip so much easier. I didn't have to feel like I had to decide which clothes to cut and which weren't. You can overpack a little bit because base knows that that's just our nature. We overpack. Base has thought of everything you could ever want in a piece of luggage. 360-degree gliding wheels, a cushion handle, built-in weight indicator, washable bags for your dirty clothes, and all the interior pockets you need. Their luggage comes in multiple sizes and colors, and for shorter trips, the Weekender bag is super functional, and it even has a place to store your shoes separately. Every piece is made to look better with miles, so you don't have to worry about it in cargo or overhead. And Base has over 30,000 five-star reviews. Whether you're packing for a quick trip or looking to breeze through the security line, Base has your personal items covered. Right now, Base is offering our listeners 15% off your first purchase by visiting basetravel.com slash Betches. Go to basetravel.com slash Betches for 15% off your first purchase. That's B-E-I-S travel.com slash Betches. I'm Betches co-founder Aileen, and as you may know, we have been in the media game for a minute. And between meetings, podcasting, dinners, etc., I need a wardrobe that works with me, not against me. And that's why Lee is a staple in my wardrobe. I recently got this white jacket jean jacket from Lee and I got their button down. I must say that the quality is very, very good because when you wear a button down, it is very difficult to find one that doesn't kind of come 
apart. And this one is not only very soft and comfortable, like I can move my arms around, but I really, really like it. It just looks really cute. And it's like Western, Western's so in right now. And then I also love the white jacket I got. It's like off white, but it has this blue stitching and it's like, I'm gonna wear it over the shoulders, perhaps on my vacation. I'm just really into it. And Denim trends come and go, but Lee is legendary for creating denim cuts that fit your body. Their denim gets better with age and their classics fit into every look. Lee's denim jacket is the one to reach for without fail. It's a classic. The Ryder jean jacket is the OG and what every other brand has copied for decades. Everyone is an icon in their own right and Lee makes denim so people can own their style and feel good in their clothes. Their spring collection is here, so get the freshest looks and cuts before anyone else. You can find your Lee fits by visiting lee.com, that's L-E-E.com, that's L-E-E.com to shop spring looks now. Let's go through the rest of the vault songs. Do you want to talk about Say Don't Go? I know that was your favorites. You both told me that was your favorite on the first listen, that you were like raging to that. Yes, I, I it really builds beautifully. I love when Ant I love when Jack Antonoff does kind of the out of the woods layering of voices, like, you know, the really beautiful building songs. And this was co-written by Diane Warren. And you brought up earlier like Phil Collins and Diane Warren is like an icon in songwriting and you know, she wrote like uh co-wrote Michael Bolton's How Can We Be Lovers. Like this is her arena. What exactly what it sounds like and she's done so many Celine Dion songs and like I just I don't know. I think that it's a it's a song that's not lyrically that um, ornate. Like it's just kind of it, it's it's a song that is probably written to track kind of like out of the woods, like out of the woods is telling a simple story. It's not that like clever, not a lot of turns of phrase. This too is just like nothing that crazy lyrically, but it's just so beautiful melodically. And then it has this incredible bridge and then a full pause. And I live for a pause after a bridge or after oh, a pre-chorus. Love, same. Me too. Um, where she says, she said, I love you, but he didn't say it back. Pause. And it's so dramatic and it's so goosebump central. I That was yeah. amazing. I Okay. I, I totally know what you're talking about. Like, it tastes like candy, the song. Like, it's just- yes. It tastes like gummy candy from one of those bulk places. Like it's Keep, just good. Like you know, snorting a pixie stick. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. And simple. Asking the same question over and over, but we're still gonna jam out to it because yeah, like you feel safe. I don't know. I was listening to it. Yes. And I just felt very seen, very safe. And like yes, asking the same questions. Over maybe and this over. is what you're saying when you mean it's written to track. Like it seems like a recognizable melody and it feels like it could have been in the 80s yes yeah um i think what when i was going through the voice notes from this era she started jack would send her melodies and then she would add the lyrics and in previous albums it was lyrics first then melody and so mm-hmm. that's why i think we have songs like this in out of the woods that kind of are repetitive but like just are going with the vibe of the song um, because yeah. this was such a new style for her at the time. I think you can kind of tell when it went lyrics first. When you know, when sometimes she smushes like a lot of words into something, yeah. then I feel like, like a you pastry. Know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's just how does it get in there? That's when I feel like you know that it was written. The lyrics were first. I feel that way about suburban legends. So Good many segue. lyrics. Don't know Let's what it's talk about. about. Suburban so legends. Same. I Sammy loves this one. I did. I really loved it on my first listen. And I was like, this is 
this also to me felt like something that already pre-exists in my psyche, which is what I liked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really like the chorus. Um, the chorus just got me in a way that the song, like the very first night or message in a bottle, just like mm-hmm. they hit immediately. And I just, I have a question that comes from this song. So I'll save it for later. Oh. I, I know you guys I didn't like, come here to make friends. <laughs> I think same, that's- I was like, she's watching The Bachelor. Yeah. <laughs> Love like the high school mentality again. We know Taylor loves to use those themes of quarterback, cheerleader. Another mention of the 1950s. Uh-huh. Okay. I think this um, song has to be, I feel strongly that this song was referencing something else and I don't know what but I feel like this song felt the most referential of other songs and events in her life Ah. this song is a question mark to me Uh, like it reminds me of listening to Miss Americana and the Heartbreak Birds I think it took me a full calendar year to understand what she was getting at with this really elaborate high school metaphor and I'm and even um Oh, you're on your own, kid. At the end, you're like, oh, she, this is a Carrie reference. The blood-soaked yeah. gown at the reunion. And I'm like, okay, what is this high school illusion going for? And I honestly can't figure it out. I just remembered that I have notes that I wrote last night <laughs> and about the lyrics. So I wrote school metaphor, 1950s gymnasium reminds me of Lavender Hayes. Also, didn't come here to make friends reminds me of I don't want you like a best friend. You were so magnetic. It was almost obnoxious. I take this magnetic force of a, of a man to be my lover combined with in Gold Rush. What must it be like to grow up that beautiful as Gold Rush? Gold Rush, I feel like, was somewhere. Was Gold Everybody Rush Wants Him was in Slut. Yeah. In the bridge of um, Suburban Legends, we'll etch our names into the bus stop bench. And then I could go to the one. I thought I saw you at the bus stop. I didn't, though. Oh, I hadn't, didn't catch that one. Could be that. Although I know people have interpreted that lyric to actually be the bus stop cafe in the West Village, but Never to reach their own. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I don't describe it like the gorgeous lyric. Even I was like, what gorgeous lyrics lyrics? Cause they're like, you make me so happy. It turns back to sad. There's nothing yeah, there's I hate than what, than I, can what I can have. You were so gorgeous. It makes me so mad. That's what it made me think of. You're so <laughs> That's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget hearing her rhyme face with face and being like, all right. <laughs> Yeah, so look at your face. <laughs> look at your face. That made the, me think. That, that, okay, so that, okay, I didn't know what to make of the slippery plastic summer because you would think the hose is the plastic, it's the slippery plastic hose in the summer. That one's going to need a lot more listens, I think. <laughs> it, it reminded me of the mental gymnastics I was enduring during when your Brooklyn broke my skin and bones. I, oh, I, I still love that. <laughs> I, I still don't really understand like what it's saying, but I like how it sounds. I like how this sounds and I like the visual. And I think she's talking about a slip and slide, but the the, the nouns and adjectives aren't quite there for me to like really understand right. it. <laughs> right. This also reads to me as like someone who didn't like her as much as she liked them. Um, mm. TikTok on the clock. I paced down your block. I love I broke my own heart because you were too polite to do it. Yeah. Ooh. I loved and you kissed me in a way that's going to screw me up forever because who that hasn't one, felt that before? That felt that. That That's actually that's I think one. why I why I wrote to you, Holly, last night that I really like this song. That was like I was like, oh, that Oof. sucks. I, like, I liked it. I think, I don't know, it, it re- just felt very like she wrote this when she was very upset about something. 
specific. Yeah. And it's just interesting that this and your on your own kid is the context of like a high school reunion. This seems to be like a fixation of some kind or like a fantasy of some kind or metaphor. I don't know. Right. I think we have to get to the bottom of the high school stuff because she also has the James, Betty and Augustine triangle too. She loves a high school metaphor. All right. Last one of the vault songs. Now that we don't talk. Oh, yeah. Similar to the pause in Say Don't Go, the way this ended really abruptly to sort of, I assume, symbolize like the end of a talking of a friendship or a relationship. I mm. loved how it ended like really abruptly. It didn't feel like a complete song. It just, yeah. which I love. I can, can I be honest. This was actually my my favorite on the first listen. It's really good. And it's the shortest song she's ever had, apparently. The chorus is really catchy. The part where she's like, I call my mom. She's like the repetitiveness. It's a catchy. Yeah. And I love the outro about acid rock. <laughs> you grew your hair long. So people are like, oh, Harry. This just feels like the way the relationship ended where it like got really like intense at the end. Where it like fell apart kind of. And then it just ends really abruptly. Yeah. I think it's, um, I, it almost seems like he was on a mega yacht and she left on that like a dinghy. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I think like yeah. this has to do with like that moment in time. And I think it's just a relatable thing for all women, like not wanting to feign our interests to have some like or respect, you know, what our taste is. I would like to be on a mega yacht, but I love the line with important men who think important thoughts. I think we've all been there just being made to feel small or condescended to based on somebody who seems to have authority for their taste. And I, I just like kind of love the reclaiming of like, I don't need this. I remember what this reminded me of that little, the outro reminded me of, I bet you think about me, the one of the red vault tracks when she's like, and your million dollar couch and your discussions and all this. Organic shoes. Organic (laughs) shoes and your. No, but she she references something like that. A song, your, um, she references that in that song. I bet you. Does she? Your indie. Your indie indie music concerts every week. Every week. And then your indie record that's much cooler than mine. So yeah. she definitely has a little bit of like a, you know, she doesn't want to pretend to like music for someone else. But that is the most, like, that is, I feel like my entire, like, teenage years were marked by the name Five Songs Phenomenon of men thinking you're not actually a fan of something unless you can prove it. And me sitting in basements pretending to like stuff boys liked when I did not like it. And there's something about boys taste in music that is like... I don't know, so overbearing and how it's forced upon you that I, you have no That's choice like to be like, oh my God, string cheese incident, tell me more. It, but I was never interested. <laughs> that was the. That's kind of the whole basis of the scene in Barbie where they're all singing yes. at the bonfire. The same. That's funny. Yeah. It was like, the, the so, yeah. I want to push, oh my God, so brilliant. Um, this, this song yeah. sort of made me think of like Another situation where it was like a person who she liked more and they they were pursuing something that is very much not her and she wanted to – she didn't want to pursue that anymore or she's happy that she doesn't have to pursue that anymore. That's what I got. To be with she was that. like relieved. Yeah. Like, good. I don't have to fake this anymore. Yes, Exactly. Yeah, it's kind of like you've song. changed. You know? Yeah. Like she's talking about how he's changed. Like she's not over. It's almost like she's 
it's the thing you do when you're still hurt by something, but you're kind of talking yourself into all the reasons you're better off. And I kind of like that vulnerability of, I don't know if she's entirely convinced in this song. Um, but yes, this is, guess this is how right. it has to be. Yeah. Right. And I, I, I don't know if you feel this way about 1989, but you, you know how she, in the liner notes, it told that whole story that made it seem like one narrative. And then at the end, it's like she lost him, but she found herself and somehow that was everything. And that's the end of the out of the woods video, end of the 1989 tour. It says that sentence. I always kind of felt like the songs in, 1989 proper like weren't really telling that story and i think these bonus track songs are telling that story of how this album was like a release of losing him and finding herself and somehow that was everything and she stripped away a lot of the more intense detailed songs to make it not like a paternity test about her relationships i think that makes a lot of sense i I also think that she as a person much like other, if you're born in 1989, like myself, you know, you be no the way, way it coincided with her. Exciting. Yeah, the way, I didn't yeah, know the that. way it That's coincided so cool. with her. So she was like 24, 25, 1989 time. That's obviously like a very important developmental time. I see 1989 as sort of, I see 1989 as like almost like the a shallow version of Midnight's. I don't mean shallow in like a, negative way because that it's shallow it's that it's like the first beginnings of stirrings that like you are your own individual person that is going to have autonomy in the world for the rest of your life and like you're starting to like uncover your powers almost Mm -hmm. and I think she went through I think basically like that was sort of the first stirrings of the things that later on in midnights became really deep self-realizations and self-awareness and it was like makes sense why it's kind of at like 25 and like 31 ish you know 30 31 and that's kind of I guess she must have been 30 when she wrote Midnight's though so I that's kind of how I I feel about like 1989 generally and that's why I think the prologue is about like stop putting your shit on me yeah and let me be me yeah. Right. And then reputation, she's like, enough. You don't know shit about me. How many times do I have to say it? <laughs> I, I I think that's such a good point, Sammy, of like the early to mid-20s confidence where it's like you almost everyone around you is telling you to be confident. You like have independence. You maybe have income. You can like, I don't know. You're almost trying to convince yourself that you're like this fierce individual or at least that's where I was. I'm like, exactly. it's very shake yes. it off. It's very like nothing can get to me. Like, I don't know. I'm better off, like, I'm going to party and just live my best life, YOLO, that whole thing. And then in your 30s is when you actually are experiencing genuine self-acceptance and not self-acceptance in the context of the cliches you're told to feel in your 20s (laughs) and you try to buy into. Yeah, it's like self-acceptance that also integrates your flaws rather than the younger self-acceptance, which is like, fuck you. Haters going to hate. (laughs) Yeah, haters going to hate is the epitome of it. Can I ask you a question, Sammy? What? As a New Yorker, is Welcome to New York an anthem for you? (laughs) No, because I have always been from New York. So I don't like I have too many New York attachments already. I don't even associate it with New York, to be honest. (laughs) I associate it with, interestingly enough, a friend of mine from when I lived in Israel, we listened to this all the time. So I actually associate it with her. So oh. <laughs> nothing to do with New York. Um, Cause 
I don't know. I don't feel like I ever like got welcomed. I was just there. <laughs> right. Well, I think what's so funny, Welcome to New York is so, it, it's, it's cute, but it's, it is funny. It's, it's just kind of the like white girl like me who watched a lot of Sex in the City and wanted to move to New York after college. Yeah, exactly. I relate to it as a Virginian, but it makes me <laughs> laugh thinking about a true New Yorker because she wrote it before she moved there. <laughs> You should have seen the reaction. I was night three at MetLife on May 28th when she did that as the surprise song as the People first one. Now. And we were all just like, really? Well, <laughs> we're here. Oh, yeah. We've lived here our whole lives, Taylor, please. Right. Although where else would she do it? Like, I know. I think we were hoping to do it somewhere she... else. It was like, welcome to New York. It's the last night. You're leaving. Lucky. Right. She should have done the first night. Or she should have just like put a little interlude in. I don't know if that's technically yeah. easy given the magnitude of the show, but just, you know, imagining. Holly, are you mm -hmm. from New York? Yeah, I'm from Brooklyn, baby. Okay, so how does it ring to you? It's very similar to Sammy. This is not my, like, <laughs> anthem. Um, but I think it's written perfectly, like Kate was saying, like, Taylor didn't live here. I think she was, you know, meeting all these model friends and all these hot people that were doing their shoots in New York and she wanted to move. She was buying all of her places. And I think she writes it beautifully for someone who is not from here. That's just kind of taking it all in as a young adult, experimenting, doing her thing. Right now I'm getting a lot of insight into why and how she coordinates her path walks, where they are and how she does them. Because she now that I'm thinking about it, the person who wrote Welcome to New York would do those pap walks in those places. And I would too, because that's what a basic white girl does. <laughs> like, it's just like, it makes so much sense now, like why she chose to be, why she chooses to be where she is. Okay, that's a... <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. Right. <laughs> Welcome to New York is the musical version of Jessel saying Tribeca is an up and coming yes. area. <laughs> yes. You are so right. You are literally, that is so, so true. By the way, Jessel is on Baby Steps, which is on the oversharing feed, Batches listeners. Jordana's Ooh. new fertility podcast. Really, really interesting. I listened to it last night after 1989. <laughs> I would love to hear Jessel talk about that in more detail. That's great to know. I will send you the link. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There's no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So it's no big deal if you lose a button, spill something, or you just need to take a break. They have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code BETCHES20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code BETCHES20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, newly with two U's, and use code BETCHES20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. 
Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. So that was the first song on the re-records. I thought that was the... When I first listened to it, I thought I was like, this I don't like. I like the original more. But then I changed this setting on Spotify where you like undo audio normal normalization and mm. it sounded way better the second time. And I also think I need to listen to it with better speakers because I'm listening to my computer or my phone and it's like, it sounds different kind of. Yeah, that was my issue too. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've been debating switching to Spotify. I'm an Apple Music girly, which I know is very unpopular. Controversial. Yeah, I know, <laughs> triggering some people right now. But I agree with you. Like listening to "Welcome to New York" and then "Blank Space," like it was just very, I don't know. It was a little bit more brassy and like, auto-tune. like I, I auto tune was really harsh, and I listening to it I had played it on like a Bose speaker this morning and it sounded better but this was the first album I will say where a lot of the songs I prefer the original even though I know we were saying like her voice has matured and I think for her earlier albums it was nice to hear like a stronger belt and stuff like speak now era fearless but this one I go back and forth because I kind of liked the I don't want to say whiny in it. In it. It's not It's not meant to be negative, but like that wailing kind of higher pitch tone. I actually preferred it with some of the songs, which I know will like go through them. But yeah, it yeah. depended on the song for me, like that I preferred the more mature voice for like I Know Places and those more like villainous-y serious tones. But for those first two, yeah, I was like, whoa, this is this is a lot at 1230. I felt the same way. Kate, what did you think of the sounds? <laughs> well, to your point, Holly, I I love um, when she like squeaks a note. Like sometimes she like squeaks when she sings. It's a, Okay, as far as the sounds, I think that anytime you are listening to a version of a song that is not the original, it's that effect of kids bop or a, a karaoke dupe on YouTube where it's like, it just, because it's not the original, it just sounds a little weird. And it's, I just think that it takes your ears time to adjust. Cause now whenever I listen to other Taylor's version songs, I can't, they don't bother me at all. But I think that especially songs like blank space style that shake it off that we have heard so many times, you know, the contours of all of the sound, of course you're going to notice the differences. Um, but actually, somebody on my Patreon said their husband is a music producer or something, and that this album is so electronic, it's incredibly challenging to duplicate as opposed to instrumental. So we might be hearing that. Oh, I, I that makes a lot of sense. I also felt like I heard... Did anyone else hear this? It sounds like the echoes, like the male echoes in Out of the Woods at the beginning sound like Jack Antonoff. I think they are. It, are they him? It, they it, yes, it, and he has an echo at like, the end of "Is it over?" or no, "Say right. don't go." That it sounded. I don't know if he's in the original "Out of the Woods," but it sounded much more like a man's voice at the beginning, and it sounded like him. I was like, "Oh my!" I literally wrote that down. I was like, "Jack!" Exclamation point. 
Would they have written that anywhere in like the notes? I'm excited to get my vinyl. I hope it comes today. I also wish wish that she would drop the out of the woods Australia World Tour live version. Totally. Where is it? Is it on? I just keep seeing it on TikTok YouTube? from like the the documentary that she did. You know what you could do since you use Apple Music? You could download it on YouTube and then you can convert it to a file and you can sure. have it in your Apple Music forever. <laughs> which Actually, I have done with many songs of hers released, unreleased, live. Ooh. Oh, I have a really great playlist. Oh, we should, you have to say. I don't know how to share yeah. it because I don't really know how Apple Music is. But <laughs> the only time I paid for Apple Music was when she released the 1989 World Tour that was only available on Apple Music. I have like a little bit of a collection. I don't know why. Just from the past. Do you have what was the when she did? Was it Trouble on the guitar? Like a rock version? I have a rock version of Trouble, I think. I don't know if it's her. I'll I'll send you a screenshot of what I have. But um. I really, I, I agree. There were some songs that I thought were better. And I completely think that it is about like how well you know the song and it sounds weird. But I still think there are some that got, that I I like this version better. Like I like Clean. I like I Know Places, How You Get the Girl, I Wish You Would. Wonderland. Wonderland, All You Had to Do Would Say, You Are in I Love. I Know Places was really New good. Romantics. And How You Get the Girl. Like, yeah. How you get, the other pipes. than like the first Really, for me, is the first two songs, and I thought Style was, I really liked Style on the new one. It's really those first two songs that were the only ones where I was like, mm. yeah, maybe it's because they were so electronic. Well, I feel like with Welcome to New York, it's just not easy on the ears. It's like, dun, 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 dun. I mean, it's like a guitar. Like I don't know, I don't know yeah. what in what context I'd be like, ah, yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's just a, such an '80s arcade or something. I don't know, um, but Blank Space I just know so well. It was taking me a minute, and and Blank Space is said with so much attitude and sass. Like I can make the bad guys like the you you could tell every small change because she just didn't say it the exactly the same. But people were railing on style, and I actually thought style was mostly fine. So maybe I don't hear what other people hear. I I liked it. Same. Yeah. It just seemed slower, maybe. I have to hear it again now knowing other people didn't like it because I thought I, – I didn't hear many complaints about that. But maybe I just didn't – I don't know. Maybe I haven't come into contact with enough complainers. When I say people, I mean TikTok comments. So right. uh, who r- really knows if that's people? That's yeah, my example size. It could be, could be the Chinese government. <laughs> totally. Are they Swifties? Yeah. <laughs> Will she come there and boost their economy? Do you have any thoughts on any, any of the other re-records? I'm glad that she added Kendrick Lamar's Bad Blood in there. Oh, yeah. This morning. Oh, I thought New Romantics was really great. Love. I, that's yes. one of my favorite songs of hers, top five all time. Same. Um, and I think she, it, she really did it justice, and it, it really works with her vocals now. I agree. I think it. I, that's one of my favorites, too. I don't know about my top five. I can't narrow that down. That's way of too Of all hard. time, yes. Um, it, like, evolves also. I think You Are In Love was really good. You are in love. Yeah. I think she sounded stronger in this one. And I just love hearing that echo anthem in it. It's just, it was beautiful. Love it. Okay. Should we close out with our final segment? Can I ask you a question? Yes. Katie, you have a question? Yeah. I feel like I ask this rhetorically all the time because I just think about it a lot. Uh, the In the Look What You Made Me Do music video, all of the tailors from different eras are standing there. 
and we can point to where they are all from. There's one tailor in a pink palm outfit on the plane wing, sawing off the plane wing of TS6, spray painting it with reputation. Obviously, TS6 was grounded. It was turned into reputation. I want to know who that woman on the plane wing is, what era she's from, and what we're missing by not having uh, her proper time in the limelight due to Kim K's takedown. Keiichi's naturally a colonial era woman on the wing. <laughs> right. Do you know which woman I'm talking about? The the pink palm yes. print of it? The, was, that, was that supposed to be Lover? I don't know. Oh. It's just kind of like a mystery. Like there's just one tailor that nobody can place anywhere. Didn't people say there was like an album called Co- Karma? Karma? That's, yes. So car- the Karma theory is deeply embedded in this. So that would be one of my questions. And then I have like dumb lyrical questions like, um, did this person say fuck the patriarchy and then toss the keychain on the ground? Or was there a fuck the patriarchy keychain on the ground? You ask the question we all want yes. to know. <laughs> and we sell a fuck the patriarchy keychain at shopbetches.com. Kate, how can you call that a stupid lyrical question? That is an incredibly <laughs> important lyrical question. If, if I got to speak to her and that is the one thing I asked, and that's what I reported back to the world. Because what I want to know is... Could you buy like a fuck the patriarchy keychain in 2011 on Etsy? Was it Maggie Gyllenhaal's? Um, I I just think that lyric's suspicious in terms of its origins. And I'm not trying to be a gotcha, but I I kind of assume this guy said, you know, fuck the patriarchy. Women can drive. That's what I assume happened. But then she sold keychains that said it. That I also felt that was what you felt, which was like keychain. The way she sang it with the gap between fuck the patriarchy, it almost feels yeah. like fuck the patriarchy was added after. Yeah. Keychain like on the ground. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You were tossing me the car keys. Keychain no on the ground. <laughs> yeah. it, she dropped it. I don't know. Like, fuck right. the patriarchy. I can't cash this keychain. Like, yes. I, I think I just, it's one of the, it's so unclear to me. And when I first heard that for the first, I've, I've never been more shocked than to hear that in the new version of All Too Well. And it's so it's so gratifying to sing out loud. But yeah, I just want to know the origin story better. Many questions. Many questions. Many questions. I have one. This is where like the little like chorus kid in me. I, I was a vocal major in like middle school and high school. Um, I so my what I do when I'm listening to like a new Taylor album is. I always jot down what melodies sound similar, like what, you know, like, is it over now? The intro sounds like the ra- the labyrinth intro, for example, Suburban Legends gives like mastermind melody. And that would be my question. I know all these songs were written at different times, but does, does she think of that? I mean, I know she's a mastermind, so I'm sure she does, but like, does she like, does she know what song it's going to sound similar to? Does she do that on purpose? Like, is it supposed to be a mashup if we wanted to? Because I know people have done that on TikTok that I'm like, yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. This song sounds exactly like this. Like, does she know that going into it? Like, I'm are curious they supposed about that. to sound similar, even if they're about two different people or is it a similar scenario? How does she pair these melodies together? Right, because it's hard to sort of believe that it would actually be random, but also it could just kind of be random. Right, because I understand like there's only a finite amount of 
chords and notes and she's like a mezzo alto. It's like I know it's like her comfort zone. What's a mezzo but... alto? <laughs> Wait, what? You say what's, what's a mezzo alto? like I understand. No um, so like a mezzo soprano is more like a belter. They don't go as high. And then an alto is kind of like me, like lower register. So as she's gotten older, I think a lot of um, people of like music theory and vocalists um, – have said she's really an alto, but when she was younger, you know, every pop singer kind of pushes their their belt when they might not be able to sing as high as like, let's say Ariana Grande or someone who just has a higher that register. Sense. So that's always been my wonder because I always think that when I'm listening to songs, I'm like, oh, this sounds exactly like this one. And I'm curious if she does that on purpose. Is a mezzo alto the same as a an alto or is it like in the no, middle of alto? It's and kind soprano. of in the middle. Okay. It's kind of in the middle fascinating can learn so when much he, here you say similar songs are you thinking like um i think he knows lavender haze yes like similar melodies yes okay yeah mm-hmm. that you That's can immediately just in the same like when they're in the same key that it can immediately go into um the other song naturally just based on the key it's very interesting because so you're like a musical melody person like yeah. i can't sing for shit but i love lyrics <laughs> You're like and, a melody for yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't sing for shit, but I my friends and I made up this theory like many years ago that like the songs on the various albums can be tied together, and particularly between 1989, Reputation, and Lover, that they some of them are like continuations of each other, like um, like Getaway Car and like, Cruel Summer. Yes, and um. And another one was we. I haven't thought about this in a while. Like I know places into. Um, I think the way that we used to think about it was out of the woods, getaway car, uh, cruel summer. I have to go back and look at it. Obviously, yeah. maybe we explore that theory for a future yes. episode. I would love oh to map gosh. that out for sport. That sounds really love that. satisfying. Do you have good handwriting, Kate? I feel like you would have. You could make a gorgeous like actual map. I don't mean to brag, but I do have decent handwriting. Oh, I know. <laughs> Mine is chicken it. scratch. It's like one of I the know. very few things I can do. <laughs> that I don't think that's true, but but sure. Um, if my question for Taylor is, I want to know who kissed her in a way that's going to screw her up forever, and is she still screwed up? Mm. Forever mm. is the longest con. Yeah, it is. Okay. This has been our Speak Now at Betch's version, 1989, Taylor's version recap. Kate, do you want to tell everyone like where they can listen to all of your Taylor content? Yeah, I do. Every time Taylor Swift releases or re-releases something, I tend to do like a deep dive podcast about it. I had one come out Thursday called The Whole 1989 Yards where we go into like the writing and the order of the songs. Just, I don't know, to kind of time travel back to a simpler time in 2014. So you can check that out. My podcast is Be There in Five. My Instagram handle is at Kate Kennedy. And I have a book coming out in January called One in a Millennial. It's wonderful. Such a cute And that's how too. I knew you had good handwriting because you made the cover yourself. And it is very cool. <laughs> Everyone should check out that book. Pre-order it. Pre-orders are the most important for authors. And also, I really enjoyed watching your page. Your re- you react live to 1989 on Patreon. So thank you for that. Um, well, thank you for watching and for having me. It, this has been so much fun. Holly, do we have any any goodbyes to say? What are we? What's up? Any anything to note? 
Oh, my friend's wedding. Some of the listeners DM'd me about my sw- my best friend Swifty wedding. So my maid of honor speech went really well. There were a few Swifties in the audience aside from the bride that got a lot of my references. So, so that you were was hit. exciting. And you soft launch the new boy. So yes, this, the this boy who came to the Eras tour film with me. So, yes. Yeah, this it was like a baby is like a soft launch where like he was on the feed, but like not in the first post of the carousel from the weekend. So. Right. And this is 1989 <laughs> era. So we're right. We're seeing people. We are getting out there mm-hmm. with that. These are the vibes right now. I mean, maybe yes. not. Maybe not me. But <laughs> the vibes you know. are high and good. Exactly. But yeah, so you could follow me at So Hollywood and Hollywood Talk. But the wood is spelled W-O-U-L-D. Because she would. Follow me at Sammy, and we will speak to you next time on this bonus episode of the At Betches podcast. Speak now at Betches version. At Betches is produced by Sean Kilby and Holly Wilkinson. Editing by Jazz Zapatos and Shannon Sasson. Be sure to follow At Betches on Instagram and send us your emails to podcast at betches.com. Betches.